Welcome to episode 703 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 703 of I Am Talk with Coach John Yes and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. How about yourself? I do notice you've got the t-shirt that uh, Laura Sadell gave you on. I have indeed, yeah. It's got all this, it's a picture of a bicycle and it's got all the names of the famous roads in Christchurch and... Cycling routes. Cycling routes and hills and Tell stuff. Tell you what, it makes a big difference for cycling nowadays in Christchurch. Keep his pass back open. Evans Pass, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Evans Pass yep. back open. Yeah, right. It's a beautiful ride, isn't it? It is a lovely ride. Oh, how often do you do long bays nowadays? Very little. Why? I just haven't been riding much. Uh. As we heard last week when I had, had, had next to no training for my uh, for my race that I did. Uh. So. Yeah. I heard that we did triple long bays. Yeah, that was solid. Not so many tri- people have done triple long bays. No, so it was it's a 75k loop and we did it three times around. People thought we were crazy. We showed them. We smashed out the last loop, didn't we? We did. Yeah, yeah, well, that was pretty cool. Strong start to the show this week. Oh, people love it. People love it, John. I'm Talks proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And our patrons. And it's name of you, Jumbo. I'll do the f- second one, shall I? I'm going to say... Um, <laughs> no, Tynan Narawatsky, the Barbarian. We've got Marion creaming the moose hearing. I'm not quite <laughs> sure where that came from. That's and James <laughs> Thunder Down Under, she's Gill. You've really good luck out with the names there, didn't you? In this week's show, we've got a tiny news. <laughs> That's what John's here. Tiny news. Uh, we've got two interviews coming up. We have. We've got Kenneth Peterson, uh, who finished second in Boulder last year and has got a bit of an interesting story. And when I was arranging the interview with him, he said, do you want to get my wife on as well? She's uh, going to be a pro, she's a pro triathlete as well, making a comeback. I said, yeah, hell, go for it. Adelaide Purr is also on the show. So I'm, I'm actually... While you guys are listening, I'm uh, on the beach up in Kateri Terry. So oh, you're back on holiday. You're back on holiday. Well, back it up. part you holiday. You've <laughs> been away. For, you've only come home for two weeks. We're entitled to a certain amount of holidays per year. How many holidays do you take a year? It depends what you classify as holidays. So Joe and I probably take six or seven. Seven weeks. Yeah. So anyway, but I'm going to be doing some work up there, so it's not all holidays. Sure, uh, sure so that's why we, we pre-recorded this show, so it's a week early, hence there's no news. Tiny news. Tiny news. The we're only th- thing coming up this weekend, we've got the Israel Man. Wait, wait, wait. We've got a product review in here as well. Oh, we have got a product review as well. So product review's coming, so Great. I look forward to that. Okay, John, what's happening in the tiny news? Israel Man's coming up. It is. It's on this weekend. I had a qu- very quick look at the website. Uh, it's about one of the only iron distances races uh, around at this time of the year. It looks like a, it's a brutal old course if you want to go and do a, go to a different part of the world. I was looking at doing it a couple of years ago, and you can go across to Jordan and do some amazing sightseeing. Uh, so it would be it would be a cool place to go and a cool race to go to. Uh, Pete the Big Man is doing it. I saw him on the start. Let's haven't mentioned him for a while. Pete Rabusik is up there. He's still going. Still going. And uh, I saw there's basically 1,600 people on the start list. That includes uh, a a half Ironman, uh, the full, and some teams. But 1,600 starters, good size race. That's a great race. And Mm. we've had good feedback from people doing it. Yeah. Aaron, the interpreter, is always giving it some love. But... um, Great race. So, there was a 70.3 last weekend in South Africa. Um, I'm eager to bring the results next week to see if Flora Duffy did take it out or if she didn't even race. And also Henry Schumann. Make your prediction. He, did they win? Yes or no? Uh, I'm going to say that Flora Duffy did. I'm going to say Henry Schumann finished in third place. Why? Because there was a couple of other really strong athletes there. Uh. 
Is that, is that a, like I know South Africa is a regional championship in the full. Well, no, I think the reason it gets a reasonable field is there's a number of athletes go down there and train, uh, okay. and then they just do whatever races rock up. What um are the regional championships for seventy point threes? Yes, there are. Okay. Mm. The Asia Pacific one is normally in Subic Bay in the Philippines. Well, not Subic Bay. So, so uh, they don't move it around. That's a big race, so they don't move that one too much. Uh, I'd imagine South Africa must have the regional championships. I can't remember about the other ones. I think St. George used to have the North American one. So it moves around a bit. Okay. Uh, that's the tiny news. That's our news. Well. <laughs> that's news. We'll do product review first because like, we've literally done four minutes, John. Yes. So we'll do product review first and then we'll do interviews. Yes. So product review. Last week, John turned up. This is two weeks ago in, in your time. Uh, John turned up at the, at the, in the studios, mm-hmm. had a bag with a wetsuit on it. Mm-hmm. It looked like a, it was a fluffy wetsuit. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm going to do a review on this on the show. And he forgot. I didn't forget. I was said, I'll do that then if we had time. And we, we padded out a lot of crap on that show. So I thought, well, just you hold that over crap. for a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, so when I did the race two weeks ago, which was the uh, sort of off-road triathlon with a freezing cold swim, I wanted to go into it prepared, uh, so I ended up getting myself a Blue 70 Thermal Reaction wetsuit, thinking in my head, how much difference is this really going to make? Yeah. I thought, I'm going to take it, because uh, I, it's, it's going to be nothing. cold, better than yeah. nothing. Uh, man, I was surprised, so I went into this race thinking the water temperature was going to be about 14, 15 degrees, and it was, um, I thought it was just going to be, I thought it was, I had it in my mind, it might even be colder than that, um, and... So I did a few training sessions with this wetsuit, and I thought, bloody hell, this makes a big difference uh, because it is their thermal, re- it's their reaction wetsuit, which is not their Helix. The Helix is a top of the line wetsuit, which has got amazing flexibility and it's a great suit, and it's one you'll see uh, most of the pros wearing. Um, so this is their next level down in terms of their models. But what they've done, they've lined it with this thermal lining, which they called uh, call zirconium. Zirconium. It sounds it's like cool it sounds name. like against Batman. Yeah, get it's, some zirconium. It's basically a fluffy thermal layer. And I'm I'm thinking, oh, that looks interesting. I wonder what that's actually going to do. Obviously, I assumed it's going to make you warmer. But the big difference that it made as well was it kept you really dry. So you're swimming along, and I was like, I was thinking to myself, I was you know coming towards the end of the swim, and I just felt like I was still completely dry and I had that oh, same really? feeling in all the other races not that you feel like you know you're not carrying water when you've got your regular wetsuit on but you can feel like you're wet on this on your skin but that was one of the big differences a it was made me feel significantly warmer and b um just felt dry and so I think I think it sucks away significantly warmer I know it's really hard to do this but if you could put it like a degrees well if you put it in the helix I, I, if I'd, I've been significantly colder in the water before than what I was that weekend, but I think that was probably the coldest water I've ever swum in almost. Okay. But so I've been colder, but yeah, it it made the swim for me. It just wasn't even a factor. It was like, oh, well, I'm a bit cold on the face, but Here's I had a question for you then because that was a, that was a swim that was. Um, oh no, well, I'm going to ask you then because what about performance? Performance wise, um, it's not as flexible as the Helix, which is a bit of a no-brainer. It's it's a it's a less flexible wetsuit even without the lining, um, and so performance wise, I think it would have negligible impact on uh, speed. On speed, like if you're an ITU athlete and every second counts, slightly different story. Okay. But if you're like you don't really care too much about that and ten to thirty seconds here or there. I think it would have had negligible speed. Um, it was. It's not as comfortable because you know it's flexible. Um, I also had a skull cap on. I had booties on, and I had gloves on. And I would say the gloves. And I haven't got the new gloves. I've got some of the older gloves. Um, they were starting. They start to get a bit heavy. And if I was swimming three point eight k's, I'd be going. This is this is going to again. That my hands 
did not get cold though. Are the new gloves lighter? I think so. Okay. So I had some of the, the old gloves. Remember so that the one, made, did you have the webbed ones? Remember that? I did have, well, I had the webbed ones, but I cut the webbing out. Why? Because you're not, uh, the webbing, A, you're not allowed it, and B, uh, I don't swim with my fingers spread out. So okay. I cut that out. So I, these gloves are quite old, so I'm sure the new ones are much better. But uh, again, my hands just towards the end were getting a bit cold, and my feet were getting a bit cold. My face was cold all the way through. But guys, I guess the main thing is, if you are somebody that really struggles with the cold, and especially if you're doing a cold race, I know it's another big investment, but it can make a significant difference. Like, really, I was um, really impressed. So, okay, so go back to what I was going to ask you before. That race was an obvious usage, because 14 mm-hmm. degrees. Yep. Where's the crossover? Where do you go, you know, like, what's, what's like, 819s? Well, a regular swim in, in Christchurch would be about 18, I'd say, 18 to 20. So would you go, you know what, I'll use it here? If I was somebody, no, I, would, I wouldn't personally, but if I was somebody that suffered with the cold, somebody like good old Dr. Feelgood, Dave Dwan, yep. he just freezes his nuts off in any swim that there is, unless it's about 25 degrees Kona temperature. Yep. But for someone like him, it would be fantastic. So it's for anybody that suffered from the cold, and I guess if you're, your question is asking where that threshold would be, yeah. it would probably be about 17 degrees for me, I'd imagine. Because um, the thing is, for you, you're saying performance-wise, you know, it's a little bit less comfortable, but you wouldn't be wearing booties and hand isn't in mm. 17 degrees. Um but if you feel more comfortable in your warmth. And, and I compare this to like the wetsuits we had when I was a junior. Like I say it's a little, it's a little bit less flexible than the Helix. But compared to the stuff we used to swim in, it's, it's yeah. really, really good. Uh, so it really wasn't a big factor in terms of performance So you're wise. saying anything under 17, you use it? Yeah, and that's because I've got the luxury of having two suits. If I was new to the market going, I need to get a wetsuit. I really suffer in the cold. I'd probably just go straight for this one, mm. and then you might get a little bit warm in some swims. Where where it wouldn't be comfortable if you lived in a climate, uh, maybe Auckland or something like that, or Australia, that where the water, water is yeah. quite a bit warmer and it's touching that um, that sort of cutoff zone, sort yeah. of in twenty one to twenty three degrees. Then I think you'd get far too hot in the suit. Uh, I know you would. So that's when it wouldn't. Well, be also, such people a doing races. Um, like, is Norseman cold? Norseman's freezing. Yeah, so like yeah. a Norseman, it's made for it, isn't it? You live anywhere in the UK, this would be a good option. <laughs> and uh, but any of those ultra well, because it does become the question, made. you know, like it, most triathletes only buy one wetsuit, mm. and so the question is, what's the right wetsuit? Yeah. And it, so there's two things here, because let's say I'm somebody who doesn't doesn't necessarily get cold like Dave Dwan. Mm. Doctor feel good, but but I still might choose that anyway, because mm. you know why why get if I can be a little bit warmer, why wouldn't mm. I? As long as I'm not getting extremely hot. Mm. But anything above 20 degrees, I think you get pretty bloody toasty on it. Yeah, okay. So if you've got the budget as well to get it, it'd be nice to have both of them. Um, so highly recommend it, and just definitely recommend skull cap, the gloves, and the booties if you're doing a really cold swim. They made a quite a big difference. Okay, so the, the wetsuit's called a thermal reaction wetsuit. Uh, in New Zealand, it costs about 780 bucks. Um, you go to blue70.co.nz or blue70.com, I imagine, for or whichever country you're in, um, and you can check it out because... Yeah, if you are if you are doing something that's a bit more adventurous, but tell you something for nothing, I ain't wearing that thing in the blue seventy wetsuit aquathon this year in Kona. Oh, I need to get that. That would be criminal. I don't think I'd make it. I reckon it's a challenge. <laughs> I reckon that could be my penalty. That's your penalty. That's your challenge. Oh, that's gosh. your challenge. That is your challenge. I was meant to win it last year, wasn't I? And then bloody, who finished early? No, I did win it. That was a couple it? of times ago. I won last time. Did you win last time? Did you? I think so. Paul Howes won it th- that time. Yeah, I was first across the line. Okay. Paul Howes, no, we're the finish liners, mate. We were <laughs> kind to you, you know it. He pulled up early, thought he'd finish, mate. I came across the line, they said, no, nah, you're not getting it. Oh, come on. It's the loveless relationship. Um, okay, John, we're going to interview. 
We have Kenneth Pearson is coming your way. Okay, guys, so last year uh, we had Iron Man Boulder, and I was looking through the results and uh, saw a name that I was not familiar with, uh, Kenneth Peterson, finished in second place. Um, so I think the week week after that, or maybe a couple of weeks after that, I did a little profile on him, looking at his website, and I was uh, entertained by his race report and uh, somewhat surprised to see uh, a pro with actually an up-to-date website, which was nice. So today you're going <laughs> to meet him, so welcome along to the show, Kenneth. Thanks for having me. Hey, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. You know where you're from. Your, your sort of your general sporting background and what's been happening up to this point in your in your tri career. Well, I got started uh, bike racing in Oregon about twelve or uh, maybe fifteen years ago or something like that. So a long time ago. Um, grew up in Oregon and did a bunch of different sports: kayaking and track and field and soccer and. Uh, got into bike racing sort of late, I guess, when I was 21, when I was in college, and uh, did that for 10 years, raced um, in a bunch of pro races here in the U.S., and uh, um, kind of had a bad experience, had a bad couple of years of racing back in uh, 2014 and 15, so I decided to switch over to triathlon kind of feeling like I I didn't have anything to lose that season because my my uh, fitness was so bad. And I did well in my first race in triathlon, which was amazing because I that was like the only good day of the year that I had <laughs> yeah. uh, all for all of that year. And uh, got my pro license at my first race and then um, thought it would be like a walk in the park <laughs> like yeah. as a pro, pro triathlete. And then got my ass kicked for the next three years. <laughs> nice. So it, it sounded like when I was having a, a sort of a read through website, it sounded like it was a bit of a rough ride there in cycling. I mean, it's maybe give us a bit of a contrast of the the life of a, a cyclist versus a, a triathlete. Well, you just you travel a lot more. Even even if you race domestically, um, you're you're going from one side of the country to the next, and uh, you're racing every weekend um starting in well not every weekend but almost every weekend starting in march through july uh and then so so it makes it hard to have any sort of job even like a part-time job Mm -hmm. i i would get a job in in the winter as like a waiter or something and then um end up having to like get fired or or just tell the the owner that I wasn't able to work anymore because I was going to be racing for the next five months mm. and traveling. And so it's triathlons way easier to have a job, although I work from home now. So uh, mm. if I had that sort of gig when I was in bike racing, it would have uh, it just would have been way easier to make it sustainable. And but also you- you're you're just like going from one team to the next because teams are constantly folding <laughs> and losing sponsorships and races are also going away like every few years yeah i mean it's it's really bad now i'm glad that i'm out of the sport just because so many races are just uh are going away and never coming back it can can you racing domestically in the state so obviously we all see the tour de france and all the glamour of um you know, being on a, a top uci team and so on um can 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 you make a living out of the sport racing domestically at least when when you were racing um, some people could, I, I never did. I got 
paid. I think the maximum I got paid was like $600 a month. Yeah. And, uh, and that was for just one year. That was, that was like, that was the pinnacle <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's probably a handful of guys that are making a decent salary. Um, I don't know what it exactly, but you know, between 30 and 50,000 yeah. a year. But almost everybody else is making nothing or, you know, a thousand bucks a month, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. So so talking about triathlon, you know, when I look through your, your results, you know, it did look like you got off to, to a you know, fantastic start there. Um, and then it just seems to me, you know, the progression over the last, you know, the last sort of four to five years, you've sort of slowly been going up the ladder. So maybe sort of talk us through your, your progression from, you know, 2015 onwards and uh, if it has been that progression or whether it's been a really sort of bumpy ride and, and you know, what where the improvements have been coming from. I think it's been, yeah, like you said, pretty steady. Um, definitely some bumps thrown in with injuries and illnesses. Uh, this last year, even though I had a couple good results, I most of the year I felt like shit. I just had <laughs> very little energy and um, really just kind of sluggish and unmotivated. And I ended up having kind of a relapse of my hypothyroidism disorder mm-hmm. um, that that I had back in 2000. Well, I've always had it, but I mean, that I figured out that I had in 2015. Uh, so that's been kind of, that's been a difficulty off and on to keep my um, thyroid levels in check. Um, but other than that, I would say that, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty even just, I, I mean, no, learning how to swim and run, obviously I know how to ride, but I was never, I'm not so strong on the bike where I can like make up, you know, a ton ton of time, uh, Mm. if I lose six minutes on the swim and then five minutes on the run or something. Mm. Uh, so I've had to be able to get into, you know, one of the packs in the swim and then try to conserve a bit on the bike so that I'm not just jogging on the run. Mm. Uh, it took me a number of, it's, it's taken me up until the last year or two to be able to run hard off the bike without just completely cramping up in my chest. Mm. And that still sort of happens for the first few miles, but it goes away. I've had, I mean, for the first, for like 2016 and 17, I would get off the bike and just be unable to run hard the whole time just because my chest was so cramped up after coming off the bike. So that's, that's something that I've had to kind of work with and um, just kind of make, make the, the body adapt to, to running off the bike. So, so um, just talk us through your, your condition that you, you, you mentioned there with regards to your thyroid. Um, maybe firstly, what, a, what effect it has on you, um, and secondly, what you do to manage it, and then probably thirdly, um, if it's medication you take, how, how, sort of, what sort of a minefield is that in terms of making sure you stay within the you know, wider um, and, uh, regulations? Oh, well, they don't do any testing, so I just take whatever I feel like all the time. <laughs> yeah, right, great. <laughs> just kidding, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been pretty outspoken against um, uh, doping and cycling and triathlon, and I think it's a huge problem uh, in triathlon that people don't really realize. Uh, there's so little testing that goes on that it would be extremely easy for someone like me or any, any pro to, to dope. 
but luckily the uh, thyroid medication that I'm on is not restricted in any way. I mean, someone who d- doesn't have thyroid disorder could could take it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't. It would make them. It probably fuck them up a lot because <laughs> like if you have too much of it, it makes you extremely fatigued and weak mm-hmm. and unable to sleep. So I don't think it would be an advantage unless. Um, I, I have done some reading. People who take HGH, human growth hormone, uh, their bodies stop producing um, thyroid naturally, so they have to take it. Mm. Which, so that a lot of the Oregon Project runners, like Galen Rupp, were uh, were taking thyroid hormones. And I'm kind of wondering if they were taking it because they're also on HGH. But anyways, mm. I kind of digressing a bit, but. Uh, mm. Yeah, I have Hashimoto's. I got diagnosed um, in 2015. It was one of the reasons why I was having such a bad few years bike racing because my TSH levels had built up so much. TSH is a thyroid-stimulating hormone, and it's the marker that's used to see see basically how off your thyroid is. Mine was greater than 150, and the normal range is between 1 and 6, 1 and 5. So I was severely hypothyroid, which just meant that I was really fatigued and uh, just weak. And I noticed that over the from 2014 to 15, I um, well, really over 2013 to 15, I had lost like 70 watts on my threshold, mm. which is you know that's huge. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess it had just built up over the years. Um, slowly the uh the lack of thyroid in my body and eventually made it so that i was unable to really do anything on the bike which is why i went into, tri- went into triathlon so mm-hmm. I, now i just take uh armor thyroid <clears throat> it's been difficult to get the medication dose right in the past it's been too low so i over the last few years it's, i've taken a little bit more um every time i've gone to the doctor it's my thyroid was still a bit low or my mm. TSH was still too high. It's kind mm. of counterintuitive. Mm. But uh, so I've taken more, and then in 2019, last year, I ended up taking too much, which has the same the same uh, kind of effects. If your if your thyroid is if you're having too much thyroid medication, it's the same as having not enough. It's mm. you're just really kind of like a brain fog and um, unmotivated and just really weak. Mm. So yeah, it's been a challenge to to keep that in check. We obviously did a pretty good job of it uh, around Boulder time last year. So you know, it's only pretty- for only for the race. <laughs> only like, for the race. I I felt really bad all winter, like all spring. I had a couple good weeks of training before Boulder, like maybe three or four really good weeks um, where I mostly felt okay, and then but I still wasn't putting out good power on the bike. Yeah. And uh, just Boulder itself, like just the day of the race, I felt good, yeah. which is all that matters. But at the same time, I feel like I got sort of lucky with – same with Boulder 70.3. I had felt pretty bad leading up to the race, and then on race day, I felt okay. So, so talk us through your first, your first Ironman because uh, I know you'd done a couple of other um... – Ironman races where you'd either done the swim or the swim bike, and I'm not sure if that was intentional or um, that was intentional, or yeah. 
Okay, so so talk us through, you know, um, your first Ironman. Uh, you know, I, I read your race report. It was it was quite some time ago, but I was quite entertained at it because normally, you know, we see race reports and people are sticking to their numbers and they're pacing themselves through. But it sounded like um, you were, you know, really pushing it on the bike with uh, somebody else, Sam, Sam. I can't remember his surname. Sam Long. Sam Long. So sort of yeah. talk, talk talk us through through your day and, and your strategy and, and how it all panned out. Well, I, Sam and I talked the day or two before the race, and we kind of said that if we come out of the water together, we should wait up for each other on the bike and then just drill it for the first half an hour to get away from everybody. And we're both pretty bad swimmers, so that's that's an, ended up happening. We uh, came out of the water together. I fumbled around and put on gloves and uh, shoe covers, no, socks, and lost 40 45 seconds to him but so he rode easy uh for the first five or six miles to let me catch up and then we then we worked together we rode fairly hard and i don't like to i mean i i look at my power meter but it i don't necessarily ride easier um it's more of a kind of a motivator for me Mm -hmm. i may be from my bike racing backgrounds um where it doesn't make sense to stick to a, a power number. You just have to go with whatever speed the, you know, the Peloton or your break breakaway mates are going. Mm. Uh, so we, yeah, we rode hard and, um, eventually we passed, I think everyone except, uh, Tim O'Donnell and yeah, it just, it felt good. I mean, it was a cool, really cool morning and, um, the power, the, just kind of came naturally mm. and I guess around mile 80 or 90 Sam started to feel kind of bad and I dropped him a few times unintentionally because he had raced the previous weekend and I think he raced the, either the week or the two weeks before that so this was his third and he won both of those half mm. of those 70.3s so he was pretty tired coming into this weekend um, which I figured would be the case but I I waited up for him both times from the catch back up just because I felt like I would need him on the last you know twenty mile stretch, which I've kind of thought back and forth uh, since then like should I have just gone and like picked up another minute or something? But um, who knows what would have happened if I had done that? I might have just run too hard, like my wife Adelaide was saying. Uh, if I had done that, maybe I would have had less energy for the for the run, which ended up being the most kind of important part of the race, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and you know, in terms of the run, it's you know, I think you ran two fifty four or something like that. Um, was that about what you had hoped to run? Quicker, slower? Um, how did the run unfold? Uh, that's like, that's kind of in line with what my wildest fantasies would be for the run mm. <laughs> so I, whenever i was out there training on the course you know the in the months leading up to the race i would imagine myself running that fast but i didn't really think it would happen just because it's it's a hard course and it's you know obviously it's at altitude so it's uh it's going to be a slow course even if you're feeling good mm. for the run Mm-hmm. and but I, I mean I got off and I felt I had a couple bad miles to begin with 
coming out of the um, reservoir because it's real hilly and I was just kind of dealing with some chest cramping. But once I kind of got over that, I started feeling really good and I looked down at my watch and I was, at one point I was like averaging 618 or 616 pace per mile, mm-hmm. and which was like really, that was really fast for me. And uh, But then Matt, Hanson passed me anyways, even though I was running that fast at mile, I think seven or something. I was just like, what the, <laughs> what the hell is going on? I didn't even know he was that close to me. So that kind of took some wind out of my sails when that mm-hmm. happened. But yeah, it was a, I had a really good run. I did forget to put my race number on coming out of uh, T2. So I had to Stands at mile 18, I think they uh, some referees, race referees, came up and told me that I had to stand still for a minute as a penalty, and then they <laughs> gave me my race number, which <laughs> I thought was kind of ridiculous. But also, I didn't. I was like, I was also happy that they it was only a minute because for a couple of miles there, when I after I realized I'd forgotten the race number, I was thinking that I might get disqualified or something, mm, mm. which I could totally see Iron Man doing that. Just yeah, because Iron Man does stuff like that yeah so um so obviously that met gave you a cone of slot i'd imagine there must have been one or two there and uh either tim o'donnell or um matt hansen must have had theirs from from elsewhere um was that part of the plan and then um and then what were your expectations going to kona no it wasn't part of the plan to go to kona i i just wanted to have a good uh race at boulder um I kind of got swept up in the hoopla of Kona just because my, you know, a bunch of friends that I have said that I should take the slot and um, my sponsor, A Squared Bikes, wanted me to go mm-hmm. and paid for like most of the trip. Mm. So I figured there's kind of, it, it would just be a good opportunity to go and um, who knows what could happen. But it turns out like my my thyroid issue was, had gotten so bad by that summer that when I showed up, by the time I showed up to Kona, I was just completely useless. I had gone and I'd finally diagnosed a problem. I had gotten testing done and um, saw an endocrinologist, but it was too late. Mm. Um, it was too, basically it takes it takes a couple months for the thyroid to kind of adjust the new medicate lower de- lower dose of medication and. I had only just recently found out that that was the problem before I went to Kona. Mm. So I I almost didn't go. I I think it was around maybe three weeks before I was going to leave for Kona, and I still wasn't sure whether I was going to go or not, and just cancel the whole trip because I was having I was having problems just going out for a, you know a three hour ride and holding you know 200 watts, which is which would be pretty pretty chill for me Mm. uh but i i ended up going and um yeah feeling i felt horrible (laughs) okay i had a really bad swim i think i was like second or third to last out of the water Mm -hmm. and then my power meter wasn't working uh on the bike uh but i i could see my average speed and i was struggling to to go like 23 miles an hour Mm-hmm. And this is when I was still fresh. This is like the first couple miles out of the off the um, out of the water, and I I knew that I wasn't going to be able to catch up to anybody. And I 
I kind of pushed it for maybe 15 or 20 miles to see if my legs would come around and they, they just got worse and worse. So I, I flipped it and just rode home in shame. Mm. <laughs> and, but then, uh, just obviously no, not the result you're, you're looking for, of course. Um, but maybe just talk us through what happened after the race. Cause when I contacted you last week about <laughs> an interview, I was like, Oh, get him on. He's, I, I wanted to talk to him, find out a bit more about him. And then I read what the hell happened after the race. So fill us in on that. Well, I was body surfing at uh, Magic Sands Beach. I think it was five days after the race. It was our, the last day that I was going to be in Kona. My my parents came out, and then Adelaide's parents came out also to watch. Uh, we all rented a house together after the race, so we had just been like, you know, going on hikes and skin diving and uh, um, body surfing and stuff. Mm. And I was at magic sands and I went for a wave, um, body surfing, caught it, rode it into the, you know, into like the shallow water mm-hmm. and, and went back and I've been in the water for like two minutes at this point, went back out and there's, there's rocks there on that yeah. beach. So I made sure that I knew I had this one, um, kind of line that I knew the where there were no rocks cause I had just caught this wave and I was like, I'll just stay, right on this this line and it'll it'll be safe and i started to go for a wave and i looked i looked back and it was um i knew that it was gonna basically toss me just i was gonna go over the falls but i went for it anyways because i just like getting tossed around in the waves um i grew up grew up surfing on the oregon coast and uh i'm just really comfortable in waves and uh i didn't think anything of it and i when that by the time i had caught the wave. It's such a steep beach that it went. I'd gone from basically chest deep water to probably knee deep water, and it tossed me. And I went over, went over the falls, and tucked my chin and covered my head. But I still hit the back of my head on the ground, sand, and felt two pops and heard heard two pops also when I was underwater in my back. And first thought that like this, the my thought process was over the span of like one second, it was like, Oh, I, that hit me so hard that it like cracked my back for me. And then, then my thought shifted to like, Oh shit, maybe, maybe I broke my back. So when I was kind of underwater still, I moved my hands and my feet to see if I could move my toes and I could. So I, I popped up out of the water, uh, realized that it was not just, it hadn't just cracked my back. It, it still hurt a lot and um made my made my way back to shore and lied down on the sand and um Adelaide came and uh called the lifeguard over and the lifeguard kind of like asked me a couple questions and he's like yeah it's probably broken I'm like what (laughs) you're you don't know that like (laughs) you just you just heard what like that my back hurts and I got land I landed weird on a wave and He's like, it happens every day here. Like someone breaks their back or neck yeah. every single day at this beach. And apparently it's the, it's in the top five spinal cord injury beaches in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's, t- it's a tiny little yeah, beach. Yeah. The waves aren't, they're not big waves. I, so I don't, I don't know. It's just crazy that it happened to me there at this, because I've been in much more dangerous 
surfing conditions um, in Oregon and in California than than this. Uh, so yeah, it, it ended up being broken. I went to the Adelaide convinced me to go to the urgent care. So we went my my mom and her mom, my mom and Adelaide's mom and Aunt Adelaide all took me to the urgent care, and the doctor didn't think that my neck was broken. He was moving my head. He was manipulating my head with his hands side to side and up and down and side to side. He was like, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do this if it was broken. You would be, you'd be in too much pain. Mm. And so I was like, yeah, see, it's not broken. But mm. then my my uh, mom and Adelaide kind of suggested that I get an x-ray anyways. So we got the x-ray. It ended up showing that there was something wrong, maybe a bone chip or maybe it was just like a an abnormality in my spine. But he, the doctor gave me a neck brace to wear in the airport because we were, we were basically on our way to the airport um, mm. when I got the neck brace on because our flight was – I think I, I broke my neck maybe five hours or four hours before we had to get on the plane, <laughs> which is not, not good timing. Mm. So I uh, – we flew home. Um, it was a Friday, so by the time we got home – I think it was like Saturday morning, so I had to wait until Monday to go get a CT scan, which would be more, show the injury in more detail. And I got the CT scan, and then a doctor friend of ours, Jason Glowney, here in Boulder, who's a um, sports doctor, called me immediately and was like, you need to get in for an MRI, and I'm scheduling a neurosurgeon appointment with you in the after, like later in the afternoon. And he said, he was like, this, the break is... It's, it's a bad break like this is not just a bone chip mm. and I guess it took me I went in for the MRI and then I ended up not getting a doctor's appointment until like four or five days later but I, I didn't fully realize how bad the break was uh, until I re-looked at this I looked at the CT scan report and saw that it was a, a burst fracture not a compression fracture because I thought it was a compression fracture for a few days and I was reading online that those are easy to heal and they take like six weeks or something and they're, you're fine. But a burst fracture is like the worst type of fracture you can have. And it's basically when the, 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 the whole bone, the whole vertebrae is just shattered in a bunch of pieces. Mm. And that's, that's the type of injury you get when you get paralyzed. Mm. And I just was very fortunate that none of those bone pieces pushed in on my spinal cord. Mm. So, so I, yeah, don't have any, I don't have any permanent injury from it. Although the neck, my neck still is broken for, um, my next appointments in, uh, I think four weeks, yeah. four and a half weeks. So it's obviously, um, you know, January time now, you know, what's, uh, what's the, the, the plan and, um, and do you think you'll be back racing the season or are you just going to be taking it, uh, take it as it comes? I'll definitely be racing. I'm, I don't think it's going to take me uh, too long to get back um, just because I've been doing this, I mean, endurance sports so long. It, you don't, I feel like you don't lose it. You don't lose a lot if you've been like kind of the older you are. Maybe if I was 20 or something and I'd only been doing this for a few years, it would take me a while to get back after taking four months off. But um, I notice that my fitness usually returns fairly quickly couple months of hard training so I'm gonna the plan is to do Oceanside 
and then Challenge Cancun, and then uh, Ironman Tulsa in May. And uh, we, then Adelaide and I have some races planned in France, um, uh, Alpe d'Huez Triathlon and Emberman, and those are kind of nice. like the two, the two big ones for the year, yeah. which I didn't even know those existed until last year, and then I kind of was reading about them, and I was like, well, these are like, these are crazy races. Um, Alpe d'Huez has ten and a half. It has three three thousand meters of climbing just on the bike, and it's in seventy miles. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You, you love it. I've been to those races, and uh, they are awesome. So, oh yeah, yeah. Imbra Man is uh, yeah. You're gonna be doing some climbing, so it's gonna yeah. be good times. But as most people don't know, uh, and I go on about this every year, Imbra Man has got some of the best prize money uh, around. Yeah, don't terms- tell. Yeah, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but nobody, I, I say it every year, but no, there's very very few pros turn up. But the the ones that do are often pretty good mountain goats. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I I've looked, I looked on the prize list on the website, and I was like, are they adding a zero or something to the <laughs> prize money by accident? Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot, and um, there's usually, I mean, I don't know the European names as well, obviously as the North American names, but I don't recognize a ton of the pros on the you know the top five for Ember Man. There's usually a couple, a couple that I recognize, and they're like they're pretty, you know, fairly big names. But yeah, yeah, people just don't go to it. I guess it's real close to um, Kona. Mm. One thing with Ember Man, Nevels. don't go, don't go dropping any uh, rubbish or a jacket. I remember the one year we were there, um, one guy, one of the pros got to, he finished the race, but he got disqualified. I think he either dropped a, a jacket or dropped some rubbish on the ground, and they disqualified him despite finishing the race. But I'm sure you have a good time over there. So what, what's well, your, what's probably your... deserve getting disqualified if he's just carrying a jacket around in the race. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what, what's what's your what's your long term um, plan? You know, you've you've had uh, four or five years um, building up, and you. You've had a fantastic Ironman race. Um, what's your What's your end game in terms of uh, where you think you can get to? Uh, well, I, before I think too much about that, I just need to win a race. I haven't won a pro race yet, so uh, that I think that will happen this year. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to win a couple races and actually make a an okay living at that the sport. That's kind of my my end goal is to. Mm get to the level where it's financially sustainable because right now um we're kind of holding even but we have other jobs and we have other sources of income so uh triathlon is definitely not the main source of our living mm. uh so I, I would like it i would like to reach a level of success where that's the case just i don't know i'm not sure why it matters to me so much but i i think it's because i never really felt like I made it in bike racing um that I have something to kind of prove to myself for triathlon that um yeah I mean yeah I'm a pro but also at the same time are you really a pro athlete if you're if you're not you know making a living at your sport mm-hmm. which I know is that's that's definitely not a qualifier that's kind of just my own thing yeah. um so yeah that's kind of my goal cool. for the next couple of years so, so any plugs for yourself you know um i'd, I'd recommend people go to your, your website kenneth peterson um but any any plugs in terms of any anything else you're doing in terms of uh how people can follow you or, or anything you're up to 
Well, we're trying to uh, kind of revamp our coaching, Be the Beast Coaching, which is Adelaide's coaching business that I also coach for. Um, we're, yeah, we've just been uh, working on that, putting out articles, uh, trying to trying to get clients. It's really difficult, especially here in Boulder, because everyone already has a coach, mm-hmm. and they've had they've it seems like they've had a you know a coach for a number of years, so it's not like people are kind of um, abandoning ship with their coaching and trying to find new people. So mm-hmm. it's it's definitely difficult, and we're both uh, highly qualified. We've coached for a couple of years, um, and Adelaide's a nutritionist, so we have a bunch of stuff that we can offer. So check out our Be the Beast coaching website as well as uh, our personal websites, and hopefully we can help you out. Awesome. Oh, we'll be looking forward to following you uh, as you go through the year, especially at Alpe d'Huez and, and Embraman. It's, uh, I'm actually going to be racing Alpe d'Huez the year after, so we'll miss you over there. Um, but maybe you can go back and hopefully defend your title and we'll meet you in person. Yeah, that would be awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Kenneth, and all the best with the recovery and, uh, and for a cracking season ahead. Yeah, thanks for the time. Later. John, you've done the interview. What's yes. your thoughts? Uh, I, I, we're going to we'll put the wife on. We'll put... Um, Adele, Adele and yeah. no, Adelaide. Sorry, Adelaide. Adelaide yep. um, I would encourage you if you if you like reading blogs and stuff to go and read Kenneth's blogs because that's why one of the reasons I got him on. It's pretty entertaining reading reading his uh, his cone report. Like he just sounds like he's just smashing it on the bike, and it's not. I'm going to ride to my numbers. Yeah. It's like I'm going out there and I'm attacking, and I know that person there, and I need a lead on him, so I'm going to smash it. Uh, and so I think he's he's a he's a triathlete with a with a cyclist um, mentality, which is which is kind of cool. And he's obviously, as you've heard, had lots of struggles. Um, um, but it's great to see that he had a really good result in Boulder, and hopefully his health issues can uh, be on the mend, and we can see him kicking some ass. So he did not year. finish Kona. He did not. No, okay. he's uh, as you as you will have heard. Yeah, well, I didn't, but thank you. Uh, let's just sponsor John. Extreme endurance. Galactic buffer. Okay, and guys, if you if you are somebody that is struggling with your sleep or you want to enhance your sleep, check out the Extreme Endurance CB Deep Sleep. Uh, it's an organic hemp oil recovery sleep blend. Um, slide into peaceful rest with our blackout eye mask that you get as part of this as well and the CD Deep Sleep it's a peppermint chewable one they also have a liquid format um, it's designed with today's fast paced world in mind we're getting less sleep and the quality of our rest has decreased sleep is a critical component so this has got some GABA in it which helps uh, gives you a nice calming effect tryptophan which helps uh, also calm you down 5-HTP helps to you produce more serotonin and it's got some MCT oil in there as well and it's a peppermint flavour so you need to make sure you like peppermint so check it out xendurance.com they've got cd cb deep sleep in the capsule format and along with their liquid format and get yourself some good sleep because i know a lot of people struggle with it and this uh, can be one way of helping so i'm reading this book called peak right now which is mm-hmm. wait a second what's it called it's called peak and um da, 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 da. peak uh the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionary Revolutionising Sport by Dr. Mark Bubbs, who we may get on the show in the next period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 actually really good, and he's mm-hmm. basically he's not some bloody snake eyes or sales oilsman, oil yep. salesman. Uh, what he is is he's basically just looking at all the different areas around what is really peak performance. And the first mm-hmm. chapter does the sleep chapter, yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's stuff we kind of know, but it's kind of he does go into a deeper level. Um, but he's just talking about Roger Federer. I don't know this, so Roger Federer because he's pretty old. How old's Roger? 
I'm going to say... My mate, Rog? Mid-36, th- mid I'm going to say. Okay, let's see. Roger Federer. Joe Federer. Uh, 36, 37. Okay, Roger Federer. Okay, you reckon 36, 37? Yeah. Okay, let's I'm, go. I'm, I'm veering towards 36. I'm veering towards 38. Let's yeah. see. Let's see. Okay, come, 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 come. Come on, Emilian. You come and go. Where's this? 38. Ah, well done. That's pretty impressive what he's still doing. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that one thing that he did a few years ago, because he basically had, I think, 2015 or that year there, he just kind of, you know, won nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of saying, oh, you know, his time's done. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, he came back and he, I think he won Australia, probably won two Grand Slams or something like that. Um, but they're saying, basically, they just really focus on his sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, just the importance of sleep. It's just so important. Isn't for he got like all. triplets or something like that? Yeah, I think he is, isn't he? It's something like that. Yeah, but come on. Maybe twins. Do you, think he's, do you think he's changing nappies? <laughs> yeah. you know, do you think he hasn't got 20 servants? <laughs> uh, although he does come across as the nicest guy. Um, that's phenomenal in that sport. Because mm. you think they play for four hours mm. in an explosive, and like, what do you reckon, a four-hour game of tennis or a half Ironman? They're, they're going to be... Uh, they're going to be cripples when they're older, aren't they? Yeah, I'd love to see. And the dy- random, dynamic, sorry, dynamic range of movement in there. In the, your knees and your shoulders. Lateral, oh. No, very impressive. But yeah, but but in this book, they're just saying that ultimately that step back up was just getting them into good sleep patterns. And um, yeah, so check it out. Um, but yeah, that's where if you are a bad sleeper. Check out CB Deep Sleep on xendurance.com. So if you've got a kid, don't get them doing triathlon. I reckon get Thomas out of triathlon right now. Guess how much prize money. Now, this is not sponsorship. This is not anything else. Mm. Just prize money. Roger Federer has won in his career. 45 million. You're not even close. No. 129 million. Really? (laughs) Prize money. Wow. And like, like he's probably bought a billion. Probably 500. Yeah. 129 million. What do you reckon? Okay, here's a question, because we can't do this today because we're just waffling. What do you reckon the most amount of money any triathlete's ever made? Well, you know there's been a couple of million dollar paydays for... Yeah, so Daniela? Daniela, and there was a couple of those uh, also in the... Whenever those... There used to be an Olympic distance race in Des Moines, Iowa. So do we say... Are we asking this question? This could be a discussion of the week. Uh, Are we asking this question as only prize money? Or as in... We'll do two. Prize money... And then career money, as in like endorsements and stuff. Put it in your diary. You put that as a discussion for this week and then we can have it for next week's show. Um, yeah, so I've, I, I mean, the prize money would be pretty easy to work out. Somebody like Torsten would probably... Okay, Torsten, we've got some homework. He'd probably have, have most of that for modern day Ironman athletes. No, but I'm saying triathlete. Triathlete. So like Brownlee, prize money? Well, I think... But Daniela won a million. Yeah. She did it twice, didn't she? She did. I th- oh, did she? I don't even know if it still exists. So I'm going to say the most prize money, you'd include that money as prize money and when you win a series bonus yep, like no, that. That's, that's from racing. Yep, I would have, so she would have won Kona that year as well, which is... How much is Kona? 250, isn't it? Something like that. Okay, well, I'll find out. It used to be. So I, I'd, I'd say she might have won 1.5 that year then, maybe 1.5 million. I have a feeling in my head Kona's 620,000 total prize pool. I have a feeling it's not this much. No, I think, no, I think you're a right champion win. So I reckon it's 120,000. That's what I'm going to go with. Okay. So I'm going to say she might have got 1.5 million that year. Okay. No, that, that's one year. Mm. So we're saying career here. Oh, career. Yeah. Duh. I have to do some calculations. Okay. So in 2016, this is what Wikipedia's come up with. The prize money was 650,000. Yeah. So they don't actually have the division of what each person gets, but yeah, we're probably about right. I think it's 120. Um, 
Yeah, okay. So, okay, so Thorsten, or we'll do a discussion in a week. Who's earned the most in our sport? So, Daniela's probably made five mil prize money. No, maybe four mil, three or four mil. Yeah, prize money. Mm-hmm. Still, pistol compared oh, well, to one hundred twenty-five from Roger Federer. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's it's funny. In New Zealand, we've got a, a pretty good pro tennis player who's a doubles player Michael Venus mm-hmm. he's won the French Open I think he's won another one Open as a tennis player as well and even he's won and, and like he, he turned up to our local tournament which is the second tier tournament he played their singles got knocked out the first round so good doubles player wouldn't mm-hmm. really have much a career outside of doubles I think he's nearly earned 5 mil mm. <gasps> and he had to do like a GoFundMe page to get, to get uh, stay on the tour really at some mm. stage yeah he was yeah. like about to pack it in Really? Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, we're going to see. Oh, spot, oh, we've done sponsor. Extreme Endurance. <laughs> we went down a rabbit hole there. We did. <laughs> what is it? CB? CB Deep Sleep. Okay, we're going to have an interview coming up. John, who is it? We have. It's a slightly shorter one with um, Kenneth's wife, Adele Purr. And much like Kenneth, she's got an interesting story to tell. Okay, here she is right now. Okay, the better half of uh, Kenneth, who you've heard from earlier in the show, is Adelaide Purr. Uh, she's a triathlete that you may not have heard of. She's a pro athlete up and coming, so we're going to find out a bit more about her. So welcome along to the show, Adelaide. Thank you. Um, now, look, one of the things we're going to hear about from, from you is a, an accident you had in 2014. Um, but prior to that, uh, you know, where, where was life heading for you before, before you had your accident? And um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I had met Kenneth a year or two prior. I have always been an athlete. I grew up as a swimmer. I got into running. I got into trail running, doing ultras, um, and had gone down a lot of different avenues. I had even done an iron distance triathlon on a surly touring bike with a leather seat before <laughs> nice. I met Kenneth. Yeah. Uh, and then Kenneth, being, coming from a bike r- racing background, decided that I couldn't keep up on commutes through town on the Surly touring bike. So he bought me my first road bike and got me into bike racing. So the year of 2013 and into 14, I started training for bike racing. I actually, before I had ever done a bike race myself, I started promoting a bike race in town and had really good success with that. And that was in February of 2014, and then I got a job in the bike industry, mm. and kind of as a result of meeting Kenneth, I went full force into cycling. Mm. And um, was prior to your accident, were you sort of heading in the direction where you wanted to be a pro, either at cycling or triathlon, or it was more um, sort of age group stuff? So I had a conversation with somebody about this recently, and... It was, I think when you start off in sports and maybe especially if you're, I was still in my late 20s and when you see that jump in progress and success, there's kind of like the sky's the limit Mm. feeling that maybe once you get to know your abilities better and then as you become morally or you just you learn your maybe not boundaries because 
I don't want to think of them as boundaries, but you learn where you kind of sit in the field and you learn what your strengths are and your weaknesses. But when you're just starting off and you see like huge improvements, you don't know where you're going to end up. And it's so mm-hmm. exciting. And I was at that stage where I was seeing really good improvements in biking. I was commuting with Kenneth all over the town. We got rid of our car and I was just seeing these huge gains through racing bikes in 2014 and then I was going to go back and when I was my my crash happened I was actually training for my first triathlon since the since the surly touring bike Mm -hmm. and and it was gonna be my chance to see what I was capable of and Mm -hmm. I don't know that I had a goal to be a pro triathlete or a goal to be but I knew I could be good I knew I was going to show myself that I had a lot in the tank and that was going to be my that was going to be my find and see moment to, <laughs> to test myself so so talk us through what what happened with your accident i was out on a training ride for i was going to do a hits race in lake havasu in november and this was october 18th it was a saturday and it was my last big ride that i was going to do and I'm somebody who really likes to do some training for just the purposes of mentally knowing I'm capable of doing something. So I was going to go out for, I think, like a 100-plus mile ride. And it was more of like a mental just like checklist, like, yep, I can do that, even though I knew I could. Um, and so I had a loop planned that I was going to do four times just north of Boulder and I went through the first loop. I had started out with Kenneth. He went with his friends up into the mountains for a little bit, and he knew my loop, and he was going to come back down from the mountains and go the opposite way to meet me. So I finished loop one. I was feeling really good. I was on my target kind of for the day and got back out on US 36, which is a main road for cyclists heading out of town here. I was headed into the town of Lyons, and there's a downhill, which is actually fairly steep. You can get going, but I was keeping it pretty casual because I was doing such a long distance for the day, and I'm not a speed demon. (laughs) And I was in the arrow bars, and all of a sudden I saw something red pop into my field of vision where it shouldn't be, and I immediately went to the bullhorns. I braked as hard as I could, and I felt my rear wheels get out from underneath me and I just knew I didn't have time to correct it and I knew that I was going down Mm. Uh, the last thing I remember from that day was hearing the EMT say her face is peeled off Mm. and then I was out for five days and when I woke up in the hospital I actually it was kind of crazy to realize that if you're in a sedated coma no idea what happened to you So I knew everything leading up to the crash. I remembered the red vehicle that had pulled out in front of me with not enough time. He had pulled past the stop sign is what had Mm. happened. And Mm. he had pulled into the lane of traffic where I was. And he had left me no time to react. So I actually went through his driver's side window. Mm. When I woke up, my assumption was just that I had skidded out and like hit the ground. Mm. I didn't even know that I'd hit the car Mm. until I woke up and... I kind of learned a lot of stuff from that day, 
secondhand from talking to Kenneth, the police officer, the EMTs, and and various other people over the years who actually passed by the scene. Mm. So what was the recovery process like? I was in the ICU for 11 days, at which point I said I wanted to go home. (laughs) <laughs> which is mm. not standard policy. Standard policy is they release you to the general hospital, but I made up a, a list of reasons why I was going home. Mm. I went home and I was, my jaw was broken. My whole side of my face was broken. Um, I sock it down along with my lip had been ripped back uh, to my ear so I had 700 stitches put in my mm. face during that surgery. Mm. So my injuries were predominantly from my neck up. Mm. And the once I, so once I got home, I, my jaw was broken, so I couldn't eat anything solid for five weeks. So I was on like the Vitamix mechanically mm. processed diet for five weeks. Mm. And... I got back on the bike, I want to say right around that five-week mark and rode like a mile down the road. I had a stomach tube in because they weren't sure if they were going to be able to, if I was going to be able to eat anything at all. So I had a stomach tube in, which actually ended up being a really big problem. (laughs) Not problem. It was necessary, but I ended up taking pain meds for the entire time the stomach tube was in and they had to leave it in for five plus weeks because they had cut a hole and to get into my stomach essentially. And you can't just uh, take a stomach tube out because then your stomach acid would leak into your body and it would Mm. actually destroy your body. So here I was in the hospital. I was like, I don't need it. Just take it out. And they're like, no, we can't. And anything that affects your core, I'm sure there's a lot of other athletes who have been through different injuries or even C-sections or whatever the case may be, but anything that affects your core really just makes it hard to move Mm. in general. So I was on pain meds for that entire time. And then after the stomach tube came out, my recovery got a lot quicker. But the other things that I didn't initially pay attention to was because they seemed so small in comparison to the immediate dangers that the concussion that I received and just how tired I would be for a long time after the crash. And then later down the road, I completely ignored my PTSD and failed to acknowledge that until years later. And that was a huge piece of recovery that I probably didn't deal with till 2017 or 18. So, so now you're trying to make it as a, as a pro triathlete, which is, you know, a lot of people would just, uh, you know, maybe take a slightly easier path. But when I was having a look through your, your website, you know, you, you still seem to be keen to get out on the road um, rather than, you know, you see so many people these days, so many athletes, you know, doing, you know, you know almost 100% of their training inside. So what, what's, what is your attitude to, to, to being outside? That's a great thing. So one of the things that, was brought up a lot with whether it was a therapist or my parents or people would be like, well, you don't have to ride anymore. If it's stressful, you don't. And to be fair, it was very stressful until I went through more PTSD therapy specifically. Mm. But I had a lot taken away from me that day. 
And there was good that came out of it. Kenneth proposed to me the first night when I was unconscious in the hospital, being <laughs> one of those great things. <laughs> so I know I'm with an amazing guy. But there was the person I was before that crash. It altered my life a lot. And the person that hit me took a lot away from me. And one of the things that I didn't want taken away from me was my joy of bike riding. And so I've decided that that's just not something that is on the table to be removed from my life. Mm. And I'm also a big believer that if you think something's not working right in the world, you have to work to make it better. Mm. And I don't like how unsafe it is for cyclists. I hate that people text and drive. I hate that people drive distracted and tired and so many other things. But if I get off the road, that just signals that they they've kind of won that fight that it's that mm. that's tolerable. And to me that's not. It's like, no, I belong on the road as much as anyone else. Mm. And not just because I'm an athlete or I'm in training, but I'm also a bike commuter. I use it to get around town. So for me, it's an issue of taking care of the climate. It's an issue of I have bipolar too. And for me, getting outside is very important. And riding is very important for my mental health. And I think it is for so many people. Mm. And I want that to continue to be an option for people, whether it's for their you know, daily commute or because they're training for an Ironman. Mm. Uh, yeah. Are there any sort of lobby groups that you're involved in in terms of um, trying to get that message out there? I, no- I noticed you, you know, you blog about it. Um, but is there any, um, for, for especially people in the states, is there any causes they can actually try to get get involved in and, and be part of a lobby group to to make sure this does, you know, there is some momentum and um, and people can still ride outside. Yeah, there's a lot of different groups. I'm involved locally with Cyclists for Community, which is Boulder Group. Mm. And then beyond that, there's Bicycle Colorado, which is a Colorado group. They mm. work in tandem a lot. They've both done a lot of great things. And then um, also locally, but it's a national organization, it's People for Bikes. Mm. They've done a lot of really great things, and they've done a lot of tracking um, of bike infrastructure nationally. Great. So, so what are your triathlon goals? You know, you're still um, working your way up the ranks. Um, so, so what are your what are your expectations and goals for the next couple of years? So after uh, after the main crash, one of the reasons that I did find out I had PTSD is because I had a smaller training crash on my own accord in Tucson in I think it was 2017, and I broke my elbow, which was really no big deal, but it brought back everything that had gone I had gone through for the first crash. So I went through like kind of this emotional relapse and between healing from the actual elbow injury and then having to deal with the PTSD, I feel like my 2017 season where uh, I qualified as pro was a little bit of a wash. And then I found out early in 2018 that I had a labral tear in my hip. And so I feel like that season was a wash. So I'd really like to just, <laughs> I'm my focus is really internal. I want to make sure that I'm focusing a lot more on process goals. I think going into the pro field, it was really easy to get caught up in, well, how, what's everyone else doing to get ready for this race? What's Where am I going to sit? How many pros are there? Like, how do I not finish last in the pro field? Mm. Uh, and 
now I think I'm better able to sit back and be like, what do I want to do? It doesn't matter who I'm racing. I just want to have a, a string together a set of really good races where I see improvements and feel strong from them. And are you planning on doing the same races as Kenneth in terms of uh, Embraer Man and Alpe d'Huez and some European stuff, or are you going to mainly keep it domestic? Oh, no, I'm really excited for Alpe d'Huez and Embraer Man. Cool. They're going to be, yeah, they're going to be good reason you talked about. I still do intervals inside sometimes on my bike just so I can dig in hard and not worry about traffic. Uh, but Emberman and Altuaz, it's going to be, we live near the mountains and it's going to be a good excuse to get up climbing mm. on some quiet roads and I'm excited for that. I was watching Emberman on, uh, I was running a, a indoor trainer session a couple of weeks ago and I had Emberman up uh, there and I've been there for the Olympic distance race and, but they were showing the, uh, the, the full distance and, and they must start at very early because it was pitch black when they were starting it was swimming in the dark it was uh, it's, a, it's an awesome awesome race and I'll, i know you'll love it um so any plugs for you i know ken it was sort of talking about the coaching business um but just any plugs you've got uh, in terms of whether you do anything nutritionally or whether it's a coaching or, or anything you want to get out there i would just say that one of the reasons i do triathlon is i think it's taught me a lot in the grander scheme of life and how to deal with things outside of just a sport. I think it's a really good place to kind of practice mental things and practice your inner strength. And I love coaching because I love seeing people progress in the sport and just seeing them translate what they learn in the sport into the, like I said, the grander scheme of balancing their life and taking care of their health. So, yeah, um, if anyone wants to reach out to us, our coaching business is Be The Beast Coaching, and that comes from when I put on the bike race back in 2014. It was Be The Beast Racing <laughs> for the for the bike race, and so that's how you'd reach out to us. People can find us online, and we'd love to help people. Awesome. No, it's great to see Kenneth's, I mean, as I said earlier in the show, Kenneth's got a, got some fantastic writing on his uh, website and it keeps people entertained, well, it kept me entertained anyway. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so good luck to you guys this season. You know, you've had some uh, some bumps in the road and hopefully you know, your experiences can help uh, Kenneth on his recovery as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys kick some butt in Europe and seeing your progression. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, John. Have a good afternoon. John just told me, I, I haven't listened to the interview because John did it this morning, but he just told me the story. Man, it's a tough comeback, bloody hell. So hopefully... You see your face, you know, like... Our, our, our image is our identity in many ways. Mm. Well, part, a big part of our identity. It's a, it's a big thing to go through, isn't it? Yeah, so looking forward to seeing how these two go this season. As, as you heard, they're heading over to France, and I'm envious, going to the, going to the Embraer Man and up to Wears. Two of the coolest races you'll ever get to do. So, uh, just on that, if people are interested, I am doing an Alp Duez camp in 2021, and I've got it all mapped out. I haven't got the prices and stuff yet, um, but it's going to be about an eight-day camp through the Alps, and we're going to finish with the 
um, Abdu'ez Triathlon, so it'll be late July 2021. If you want to get your name on the provisional list, get in touch and uh, hopefully have it sorted out in the next couple of months. We've got all the and, and that finishes with the race? Yeah, so it'll be a bit like the Kona Camp, but we'll be doing uh, uh, we're doing sort of six days touring around, going over some of the most amazing coals. We're doing uh, cold, uh, we're not doing cold as well, we're doing... Um, yeah, we are doing the Col de Isouard. Uh We're doing a whole bunch around sort of um, uh, Geneva and the Galibier, the Telegraph, um, and a whole bunch of other ones, the uh, Cornet de Rosand, um, some really, really cool stuff. Sounds awesome. Mm, it's going to be a good time. What's so the distance of the race? Because it's more of an Olympic distance, isn't it? No, time-wise, it, it's about between, yeah, a, no, time between a... No, it's between a half Ironman and Ironman time. Oh, wise. okay. Yeah, yeah, so... I have a feeling in my oh, yeah, so it's, it's somewhere in between. It's, it's that could bring me out of my retirement. That race, like, right? You know, like that race, just is awesome, isn't it? It's Paul Crew Joe on on, there you go, on the job. Okay, uh, we're not doing wing of the week because we're kind of pre-recorded this one. But let's John, let's do the patrons. Robert Doctor Dugood Turnbull, Roger the Chop, uh, Canham. And William Spectre Moore. Nice, uh, Roger Roger Moore, the boy seven John. 25th anniversary is coming out soon. Is it this year? It's this year, isn't it? It is. I've seen the preview for that movie. I'm not quite so excited about it. Yeah, hopefully they get it right. Mm. I do like a Bond. Yeah. I do like a Bond. Yeah. Okay, our sponsors are... Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. If you want to get the show emailed to you, front page of imtalk.me, down the bottom, go there. If you want to become a patron, go to the same website, go into the patronage, you go into the draw. We're going to be doing the draw pretty soon, team, so you want to get on it right now. For coaching, go to coachingnewsome.com for my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. For other content such as age group of the week, cool websites, other feedback, I am talk podcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. My goss, Bevan, I'm just uh, literally just texting uh, Caroline Stephan about to go. We're going to finish up now and we're going to go do an interview with her. Oh, she on. So that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks' time, maybe next week. So that's my goss, Bevan. I'm on the beach in Kaiteri. Busy man. Oh, that's right. You're a working class man, aren't you? Yeah. You've got to have your holidays. You do have it's to. It's the middle of summer for us, especially when you've done two weeks' work. Mm. You know, when you've done mm. two weeks, you really need to make sure. Well, the reason we're going this time is because we only got a few days at Christmas time when we get, normally go to Kaiteri for two weeks. Then we only got a few days because we're the renting the in-laws are renting the place out, so we've got to go back up. Oh, and they have do a, the old Airbnb now, week. do they? Yeah, yeah. Make good money. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> This is amazing Airbnb, isn't it? It was an Airbnb, but it's that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. but it's amazing how much people are making money on houses now. Mm. It's interesting. In town, it's really hard to get rental accommodation now because everyone just wants to put Airbnb in. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's fascinating times. Uh, that's your goss. That's my goss. Bevan, you've got no goss because we're going to go do this. So what have, what have you been doing? you got, I did, you got I did one watch, minute. I did watch the Joker film. Oh, okay. Belinda wants to go see that. I don't think it's at the movies anymore. Mm. I think you hire it. But, but um, it's, not, it's not a happy film. No? Very disturbing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my goss. Cool. Awesome. There we go. We're done. We're going to get out. I've got one minute. There we go. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.